Welcome to the Reflections on Parkinson's Disease podcast. In this podcast, we hope to demystify Parkinson's disease, looking at everything from the basics to the cutting edge. Whether you are a healthcare professional, sufferer, carer, or family member looking to learn more, leading experts, Professor Baz Bloom and Professor Werner Poover will help uncomplicate the subject. Orwin presents Reflections on Parkinson's Disease podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast series, The Parkinson Alphabet, where we are systematically going through all the letters of the alphabet and relate them to Parkinson's disease. Uh, my name is Bas Bloom. I'm a professor of neurology at the Rudbud University Medical Center in Nijmegen, and I'm joined here by my good friend and close colleague, uh, Professor Werner Peuve, Emeritus Professor of University Innsbruck Medical Center and a distinguished scientist and clinician in the Parkinson field. We've been running this podcast series together for quite some time. I want to thank Ever Pharma for making this happen, uh, this podcast. We're very grateful for their support. And uh, today we're going to talk about the letter N. Um, we've talked about the letter N before, about non-motor symptoms, and uh, we gladly refer you to that other episode. Uh, but this time we're going to dive a little bit deeper into a specific treatment of these debilitating non-motor symptoms, which I think is really important. Um, we talked, Werner, last time about how these non-motor fluctuations and non-motor symptoms have a strong dopaminergic component, stronger than people maybe think. Um, it opens the door to dopaminergic treatments of these non-motor symptoms. And one of the treatments that maybe not all of us think of immediately as a treatment for non-motor symptoms, is apomorphine, which we know is a very potent, powerful anti-Parkinson drug for motor response fluctuations. But maybe if we go back to the roots of apomorphine, where did this story begin? Was it a recent thing? Is it an older story? Apomorphine is an old Parkinson I, I, drug. I, I, I love the story about apomorphine mm, because it's such a such a good example of how careful clinical observation can eventually lead to a very powerful treatment. Um, the first recorded report specifically, very specifically, on, on treating Parkinson's disease or ameliorating Parkinson's disease symptoms by apomorphine was, was a, um, a lecture given by um, Robert Schwab, and a paper then in the proceedings um, of the Ameri uh, American Neurological Association in 1951. And Way had, before levodopa. Well, even before there was any knowledge about the role of dopamine or dopamine deficiency, rather, in the brain. This was mm. work that was conducted exactly. in the 1960s. Yep. So this was 1951. Nobody had a clue that dopamine deficiency was related to Parkinson's, nor did people... Um, really know all the details about the dopaminergic uh, potencies of, of apomorphine. And, and Schwab remarked on this after following his injections of apomorphine, how people would initially become nauseated. Mm -hmm. Apomorphine was known as a nausea-inducing exactly. agent, an emetic, um, how they could drop in their blood pressure and turn pale. But he, ro he wrote, once that is over after 20 or so minutes, maybe 30, there's a miraculous disappearance of tremor and other Parkinsonian symptoms, which will last 
for not very long, but uh, at least, say, 90 minutes. And one of my German teachers, uh, with own late Professor Stoppler in Munich, 1953, he also published such observations specifically on tremor, how he could inject apomorphin to remove tremor. And then this was it. It disappeared. It, nothing People emanated from up. it until in the 1960s, the famous George Kotsias, the one mm -hmm. who did the, the awakenings type of work with levodopa, yeah. um, he came back to those observations by Schwab and others and started reusing apomorphine, finding essentially the same marked effect on, on Parkinson's symptoms. But all these investigators, early investigators thought, and by the way, when Kotzias published on apomorphine, it was clear that there was dopamine mm -hmm. efficiency. Uh, they, they thought this is no treatment. This is not a viable treatment because you have to inject it and it because it makes feel people nauseated. That's that was it. And it was really thanks to two developments. One was the uh, discovery by Corsini, the Italian pharmacologist, of the anti-emetic activity of domperidone and the fact that domperidone doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier, so it will not have anti-dopaminergic central effects, but it can prevent nausea. And the persistence then of Andrew Lees, our colleague and friend, and yeah. um, his mentor and my mentor, Gerald Stern in London, who then went back to the apomorphine using domperidine coverage to prevent the nausea. And that's when it kicked, really kicked off. That was in the 1980s, early 1980s. And now we are where we are. Apomorphine is an established drug, although Personally, I believe it's still an underused treatment for Parkinson's disease. Oh, it's absolutely underused. And I think one major concern, I think, for the Parkinson field worldwide is this general undertreatment of people with Parkinson's disease. And definitely, I think epimorphin is underused. You mentioned Andrew Lees. I should quickly mention his beautiful book, Mentored by a Madman. If people haven't read it, they should buy it, where Andrew describes how he used epimorphin on himself because he felt that he will, if he was exposing patients to apomorphin, he should try it himself with some very unexpected effects. But people should read the book to hear more about it. While we're at it, let me kick in, Bas. The most recent book I would also recommend to all non-neurologists and neurologists in the audience is about neurology from a different angle, brain spotting. I so, know, yeah. Hmm? Beautiful book. And Andrew is such a great writer. Now, just very quickly... Um, you mentioned the domperidone. So, so if people are not used to using epimorphine, um, and you mentioned domperidone, is this a lifetime treatment? Do you need domperidone for rest? How does it work in practical terms for our well, listeners? It's, it's luckily it's not. Um, the tolerance develops very rapidly regarding the emetic and I, also the uh, hypotensive effects of, of apomorphine. So usually it's a matter of five, seven days of treatment. And that's also the recommendation by the regulators, the email, for example, to, to limit the duration of exposure of domperidone and the daily dose to 30 milligrams. But that will do. You, you, if, if you use apomorphine in someone who's already been on levodopa, maybe an oral agonist, and has, these people often have already developed tolerance to these side effects, and they might not even require domperidone. And I have many colleagues who say, well, I don't even use it. I just start. I, I don't. I still, for, for just to safety reasons, use a few days of domperidone protection with the first exposures to apomorphine to not make people have 
unpleasant experiences that will um, reduce their enthusiasm for that very effective yeah. treatment. No, and then fortunately, epimorphine is unlike the experience in the 50s, a well-tolerated drug, and that can really make a difference for people with Parkinson's. Mm. Now, what I said in the beginning is we know epimorphine as a very potent anti-Parkinsonian drug that is used to fight the response fluctuations, either as an ad hoc treatment, so penjects uh, for a sudden off period, which you can use several times a day, or when you need multiple of those injections per day as a continuous pump therapy. And the initial literature, I think, focused very much on the motor symptoms, as much as the Parkinson field focused in general on motor symptoms. But I think there's now interesting literature to show that these epimorphine treatments, be it ad hoc or as a pump therapy, can help to fight pain, um, are actually a good treatment even in those with psychosis and hallucinations. So some of the neuropsychiatric features can improve. Uh, what is your experience in using epimorphine for these non-motor yeah. symptoms? Well, I think all of us who treat patients with motor fluctuations do, of course, realize and hear from the patients that there are a number of non-motor unpleasant experiences during the off. Um, and you mentioned the pain, you mentioned anxiety, and there can be sweating episodes, even tachycardia in the off, and some people have, have cramping of their um, defecatory musculature uh, associated anism at the off. And as you, as you abort the off, this will all go away, yeah. and that's an, all these unpleasant non-motor experiences will go away, and that's a good treatment then. Um, the other aspect with that you mentioned, Baz, the cognition and the hallucinosis and psychosis, this is intriguing yeah. um, because we are giving a dopamine agonist, the most powerful dopamine agonist, the only one that has equal potency clinically to levodopa. Um, but all these other drugs would potentially in susceptible individuals be able to induce hallucinosis. And that's yeah. not the case to the extent that you would expect with apomorphine. Um, it's an interesting property that's not fully understood why that is, um, but it's safe to say among all the agonists, this is the least exactly. prone yeah. to lead into these issues. Yeah, and then one other symptom, which is I think highly relevant when you talk about non-motor and, and uh, apomorphine is sleep. Um, initially, there were some concerns that you mentioned the tolerance to the side effects. There were initially some concerns that if you gave epimorphine throughout the day, you might develop tolerance so that uh, pump therapy had to be switched off at night. In fact, that does not appear to be the case. None of our orally available drugs covers the night really properly, and many people awaken at night. So I think epimorphine pump therapy at night is a good treatment for sleep as well. True. True. We've always had these experiences. Those of us who've used apomorphine and who've, by the way, anecdotally, when anecdotally, when I came back from working with Andrew Lees and Gerald Stern in the 1980s, my initial approach at home in Innsbruck was to give 24-hour <laughs> infusions because I thought if we're going to continue, it's continuous. And then everybody and also ourselves, we went to these, as you said, daytime cycles. Um, but the observation has always been in individual patients who really were bad at night, 
with poor mobility that you can go through the night and really greatly help these individuals. And now there's even a study showing that a randomized, placebo-controlled crossover trial of nighttime-only exactly. infusions of yeah. apomorphine uh, showing significant improvements on the sleep quality and the Parkinson's disease sleep scale. Um, so yes, I can. this is important what you're saying, the night can be a significant source of problems for Parkinson's disease. We don't address it sufficiently with our oral treatments, and that's another area where these infusions have a have a very important role. Yeah, absolutely. Now, obviously, patients need to be trained in these yeah. self-injections, and nurses can be tremendous in that regard. Uh, the other thing that you might want to briefly comment on is the concern that we used to have about the nodules uh, in the skin lesions, uh, which... Um, there are now strategies to fight that, and, and um, uh, we use different dilutions, and there are some other. Changing the, uh, the injection sites yeah. uh, has really helped. Uh, what is your experience yeah. now with the nodules? Is it often a, a rate-limiting factor in the treatment? Not often. No, exactly. Not, not often. It, of course, it depends on things that you've alluded to. The care that is taken to protect the skin, the information and the teaching giving to, given to patients and caregivers about skin care, uh, needle systems. There are needle systems that are much less prone to produce these skin problems than others. Um, Teflon or um, coated needles or uh, needles that have, are, are purely... Uh, metal-free, uh, then the um, change of infusion sites, yeah. sometimes in very susceptible individuals. We've, I've even, we've even resorted to changing the needle position in a cycle. So important area there, when you do it carefully, you can reduce the skin becoming a real problem, right. but not to zero. One yeah. has to... No, th yeah, yeah. So I think taken together for our listeners, um, if we wrap up today, epomorphine is a useful treatment, not just for motor symptoms, but also for non-motor symptoms. Please remember, these are common, these are debilitating, these are often dopaminergic in nature, not always, but some of them requires a careful history taking. And alongside with all the many other types of dopaminergic stimulation, consider epomorphine as a very useful and, might I add, gratifying treatment to treat these highly debilitating symptoms. So I want to thank you again for listening. I want to thank Eva Pharma once again for making this episode happen. Uh, we will continue, no doubt, with other letters of the alphabet. Uh, there are 26 in total. We enjoy doing this. I hope you enjoy listening to us. So thanks to you, Werner, for contributing today. And we hope to hear or see you anytime soon again. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and look forward to seeing you next time. Don't forget to stay up to date with all the latest discussions and help spread awareness. Follow and subscribe. You can find us on your favourite podcast platform and oroin.com.